This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. One last thing I'll say, that... The masculine spirituality has been largely about transcendence, you know, that rising up and out and blasting off. It's a very vertical kind of energy. And the feminine is so much about embodiment and reclaiming our embodied experience as holy and our relationship with the earth and all of that. But it's, um, it's really a blending that I'm speaking of, of, because you can't have, eminence is not is not anything without being infused by the spirit of transcendence. But if that's all we're after, we're gonna miss the sacred possibilities in every moment of our embodied lives. Okay. (laughs) Hello, and welcome friends to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and monologist. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and we hope this podcast finds you as well as can be. Here at CSM, our guide, David Nickturn, discusses how to lead an integrated life involving spiritual practice, creative expression, and right livelihood with our guests who embody and manifest these principles in their own life. And what a privilege it is to get to present to you this deeply heartfelt conversation between David and this episode's amazing guest, Mirabai Star. I will echo David's forthcoming opening statement that it's challenging to sum up Mirabai, her work, and her journey in a succinct manner. However, That is my role here, so I will set the table with a brief exposition of salient biographical details, and then we will get into the conversation. Mirabai Star is an award-winning author of creative nonfiction and contemporary translations of sacred literature. 
She taught philosophy and world religions at the University of New Mexico Taos for 20 years and now teaches and speaks internationally on contemplative practice and interspiritual dialogue. A certified bereavement counselor, Mirabai helps mourners harness the transformational power of loss and cites the connection between profound loss and longing for God as the ground of her own spiritual life. A daughter of the counterculture, an ecumenical weaver of the world's faith traditions, a devotee of Neem Karoli Baba, and a translator of mystics who loves hikes in the mountains with her family. Be sure to pick up the new edition of her book, Julian of Norwich, The Showings, coming out on April 1st with a foreword by Richard War. And also head to her website, www.mirabystar.com, to connect with her and her teaching. That's Mirabystar with two R's. Okay, on with the show. And now, episode number 32 of the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. Fierce and Tender Wisdom with Mirabai Star. Okay, so welcome friends to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. Special guest today, I'm very excited, uh, Mirabai Star, who is... Um, Hard to con- contain in a single sentence or paragraph, so I think uh, we will get uh, the full range of your capacity as we speak more. Um, I've been reading, uh, listening to actually the audiobook of Wild Mercy, which is your most recent book. Uh, already I'm completely hooked into it, and I think um, one of the things that I wanted to start off with is for me being who I am at the stage I am, this is a uniquely feminine perspective. Is that fair to say? I know that's a tricky thing to say these days. What What is masculine? What's feminine? Would you characterize it as a feminine perspective? Absolutely. I think that's, that's very much what this is. It's all about reclaiming a kind of feminine voice and feminine wisdom across the spiritual traditions. Wow. Sure. Okay. So... Great, great place to launch from. Um, how would you define masculine and feminine? Yeah, that's that is a good place, David. Sure, and it's changing for me all the time, which I think is part of the feminine landscape. Is that it's a fluid, creative, very alive space that doesn't necessarily lend itself to fixed definitions. That this is the way masculine is, and this is the way feminine is. <laughs> so, given that, my my feminine perspective on what's feminine and what's masculine is that first of all, both genders live in all of us, in people of all genders. Like we all contain these energies of the masculine and the feminine. Um, and so, some of the kind of defining characteristics, I suppose, would be that. Masculine attributes are things like um, rational, logical thought, uh, conceptual constructs as kind of fixed containers that we can rely upon, Uh, sometimes a dissociation with feelings because feelings, both physical, sensual feelings and also emotional feelings, can often be perceived in this domain of the masculine um, as being uh, problems, predicaments, obstacles, however you might want to call impediments. 
and uh, and yet there is a certain power for sure in the the kind of legality legalistic c- constructs that that are built in the masculine domain and of course women as much as men and people of all genders have and live into these qualities right feminine qualities i guess we're invoking here are things more like yes the 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 more tender aspects of the feminine like loving kindness compassion mercy um, unconditional forgiveness but also the fierce feminine qualities the kali like qualities of of truth telling of um, cutting through the bullshit to get to the truth and uh, being willing to abide in spaces that are subversive and seem perilous or dangerous or uh, you know out of the comfort zone and you know that dakini that dakini energy that's kind of wild and shakes it all all up so so that's kind of the range of the feminine. And I've had, you know, a lot of people, including people who identify as as non-binary or queer, tell me that it's that really what I'm talking about isn't feminine, certainly isn't masculine. It's it's more gender fluid or even gender queer. It's about reclaiming this balance in all of us. Because the one last thing I'll say, sorry, that was a very long intro, is that um the masculine spirituality has been largely about transcendence, you know, that mm-hmm. rising up and out and blasting off. It's a very vertical kind of energy. And the feminine is so much about embodiment and reclaiming our embodied experience as holy and our relationship with the earth and all of that. But it's um, it's really a blending that I'm speaking of. Because of, you can't have, imminence is not, is not anything without being infused by the spirit of transcendence. But if that's all we're after, we're going to miss the sacred possibilities in every moment of our embodied lives. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, whether people will resonate with or not, things feel a certain way. You know, that's the sort of interesting. You look at the sky, it feels a certain way. You look at a lake, it feels a certain way. Somebody touches your arm, it feels a certain way. And, you know, it seems to me that that's, when I uh, heard your your book and the way you're reading it, what you're talking about, beyond anything you're saying, there was a tone to it. You know, there's something uh, we call in, in the music called room tone, hmm. which is a very interesting thing. It's the sound the room makes when nothing is happening in the room. Huh. It's just, and, and actually when you do um, record a voice, like a voiceover, like for your book, they have to match the room tone. If you, if you do an overto- uh, overdub and it doesn't match the room tone, you'll hear it like, like little, little subtle shift in the uh, background noise. It's very okay. subtle, but it's detectable. Yeah. That's so wh- fascinating. So what's the room tone when you walk in? What's the, what's yeah. the vibe, you know, what's the atmosphere? And you know, I teach a lot in Japan, and they 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 talk a lot about atmosphere. Hmm. That um, things have a certain atmosphere. That's the feeling I'm getting from hearing you talk about. It. There's a certain um, non fungible, 
nonlinear, uh, maybe challenging to describe other than through more poetic uh, means, uh, delineation of parsing the different aspects of being a human being. Hmm. Yes, and I think for me personally, not only is is it the feminine definitely the terrain of of feeling as you're describing, but also I think I'm a frustrated musician. You know, I love to sing. I've oh. always loved, been drawn to music, but I've never become. A, I don't have what it takes to become a professional musician. But I think my musicality informs my writing. I have. Oh. I just can't bear. Um, tedious, pedantic, left-wing <laughs> Dharma books. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. The transmission. Mm. The transmission is beautiful. Mm. And if the container for the transmission is not also beautiful, I think we can so easily miss the, the more transformative energy of whatever the Dharma teaching may be. Yeah. So... You know, we've been studying in our Dharma Moon Tuesday night gathering the Heart Sutra for the last six weeks, mm. uh, which is something called the Heart Attack Sutra. Did you know that? No. Never Why? heard that? But, uh-uh. There's a reason. The reason is that it's so profoundly rug-pulling and sort of um, uh, cutting through any kind of conceptual mind that supposedly when the Buddha gave presided over that discourse, uh, the arhats, several of the arhats, kind of quite realized people at the level of individual realization, felt the ground pulled out from them so much so that literally they died of heart attacks. Wow, what a legend. Yeah, that's isn't that a great story. So I call it the heart attack, ek, 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 sutra, you know, uh, in, in honor of, of Billy Joel. But, um, you know, <clears throat> in trying to wrap your mind around it, what happens is that the something that's so well covered in the tantric teachings, which is you can't just conceptualize these things. They're they're going to talk to a different part of your whole state of mind. Um, but in time, trying to grasp onto it, you're going to be the more you study the heart sutra, the more frustrated you're going to get. Which is what's been happening. We're in week six tonight, later tonight, wow. and uh, you know people are having less and less of a good time. Going, I get it. Uh, because the thing to get is that you don't get it. And, and, um, it's, and what's also interesting is that, um, Buddha didn't teach it actually. He's, um, presiding and, uh, uh, two of the, two of the, um, of his, uh, Shariputra, who's sort of like inquiring as Avalokita Shivara, who is, uh, you know, sort of non-binary in, in a certain way, how should we practice this? And Buddha is like a lot of these times just sitting there. In, in in some kind of meditative equipoise. And at the end, he just says, good job, fellas, you know, like something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, this unplugging or unpulling, pulling out the rug, uh, I associate that with feminine energy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I could get, I know I'm, a, you know, it's easy to get in trouble these days when you characterize these things. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to ask everybody out there to um, forgive me in advance if I, if I misspeak about, um, how some of these uh, things are spoken about uh, in the current vernacular. I'm not meaning to um, cause anybody any discomfort that way, but I associate that in my life with the feminine principle where you don't quite know where you stand. <laughs> yes. 
Exactly. And, and David, you know, two, two quick responses. One yeah. is, yes, the feminine is about mystery. It's about mm-hmm. the, the holiness of not knowing. Mm. Not a, a problem to be solved, but a, mm. a reality to be entered. But also the fact that we're talking about it at all and that you're a white dude interviewing or in dialogue with someone like me, um, affirming the the primacy of the of the feminine voice and feminine wisdom is everything. It means everything. <laughs> so I appreciate your apology, but I also want to bow to you for doing the work that men especially need to do, but all of us need to do to just shift the paradigm of all the spiritual teachings that we've received that we love so much being really exclusively rooted in a masculine mindset. And we're, we're just trying to shift that for, for the benefit of all beings, not just women. Mm. Well, and on that note, I just, you know, one could, you know, I used to compose music for daytime television quite a while back. I knew that about you. Yeah. I, I did the music for One Life to Live and As the World Turns, which I used to call as the Nick Turns, just as a little in, in-house joke. Um, and my producers were women. Um, the shows were organized uh, around uh, getting a, a largely uh, female audience. Uh, one of my producers... Um, uh, Linda Gottlieb, who produced that movie Dirty Dancing and then went on to produce uh, 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 One Life to Live, she said our audience is 90% uh, women and the other 10% we don't really care about. <laughs> you know, In other words, they were zoning into a particular uh, audience that was um, you know, supporting the show. But I want to make this statement ahead of time. In case you think, my uh, friends out there, that this book and this perspective Oh, you know, yeah, I'll just listen to it a little bit. You should read this book, Wild Mercy. The, the, the uh, you know, the perspective will expand your horizons in terms of uh, getting a real transmission about what, what, uh, what Mirabai is, is talking about here. So mm-hmm. I just want to, and that's not a plug. That's really like a heartfelt sentiment of, um, and it's not even like a catch up with the program kind of, thing it's like enter a certain uh, space that you'll find intoxicating and and really um um it, it's it's refreshing because a lot of dharma books are as you said kind of flat kind of square kind of nerdy and um you know you have also it's fair to say you've studied a lot of different traditions you you, you you're wildly eclectic aren't you i am i yeah. am i came by that honestly but kind of growing up around lama foundation So your parents, uh, am I getting that right? Your parents were um, practitioners? No, yes and no. I mean, my mm-hmm. parents were definitely counterculture mm-hmm. people. Um, so I lived my first 11 years in New York, Long Island. They were you know, non-religious, kind of anti-religious Jews from New York. And as part of the, the really the Vietnam era and their work as social justice activists, peace activists, mm-hmm. they ended up uprooting us from suburban life. And we, it was part of that period when a lot of early hippie families were hitting the road, you know, just in caravans. And, and that's what we did. So we traveled around and Be Here Now had just come out. And, and that was one of the counterculture beacons. And 
that's what brought us to New Mexico. And we went straight to Lama Foundation. And my parents were like, nah, too religious. Uh And how old were you at that point? I was um, 11, just turning 12. Oh, my goodness. And brothers and sisters in the the caravan? Yeah. In fact, part of what really uprooted us, I think, from New York is that our older brother, Maddie, had died of a brain tumor when he Mm. was 10. And I was seven and my sister was four and my brother, my youngest brother was newborn. So I think, you know, so often in a family, the death of a child especially is, is so, um, it's such a disruption of everything, destabilizing the whole structure, which was ready to go give anyway, because of the, what was happening in the culture, Mm -hmm. questioning things like the nuclear family and all of those norms. So it was so my brother's death really was the catalyst for something going all the way <laughs> that was mm-hmm. starting to go anyway. And yes, so we all traveled and we didn't, you know, we didn't go to school, obviously. And we we lived a lot of that time on a very remote beach in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Wow. Now covered with with high rises that are like twelve hundred dollars a night. But at the time it was <laughs> we slept on the beach and ate fish and rice. It was very very um it was instrumental in my in my parents entire kind of cultural and spiritual awakening but they just didn't identify with a particular spiritual path but lama because of our proxy they so they settled in taos which is just Mm -hmm. down the road from lama which is where we still all are you know four generations of us now but um meaning your your parents are there too yeah parents Um, my, my siblings and I, our children, and now our grandchildren. Yeah. Wow. So, but they did, but Lama was, Lama was very um, connected to the Taos community, well, at least the counterculture part of the Taos community in the 70s. And I ended up spending a lot of time at Lama and then moving up when I was 15. Happy child. That's when Hippie I child. I met Neem Crowley Baba, not in the body, but in the. In fact, it was just the year after he left his body that I became a devotee. What year would that be? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. He 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 passed oh, away. Oh, seventy-three. Say no. Seventy-three was when he when he left his body. I think seventy-three. You uh, you would know better than I. I, I can't remember yeah. what the which year it was, but anyway, it had been very recent. Right. I, I met Ramdas at Lama, and that's when I. And was Ramdas a, a teacher of yours uh, mm-hmm. at that point? A major um, central character? Central of course, character. for those who don't know, I, I met Mirabai in Maui at the, uh, uh, um, you know, the Ramdas and Krishnadas retreats, and myself in the capacity of a uh, guitar player, another, a different, my, I sometimes call it my day job, <laughs> 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 teaching versus my night job. But, um, you know, Mirabai has been often a presenter there, and uh, so you're really integrally tied in with that community then for many, many years. Yes, but I I was invisible for by design for many of those years. It was only after I started having books published that I feel like my own spiritual family said, oh, <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Wow. By design, invisible by design. Could that be the next book? Oh my God! I think that's what we're trying to um, deconstruct here: is the uh. <laughs> way that we're we've been conditioned by these patriarchal religions to disappear, mm-hmm. to that the ego is bad, that the any mm-hmm. you know, 
know, all of these personality uh, issues that we carry around, personalities <laughs> that we tote around are somehow um, unspiritual. So, yes, I think that it's time for us all to stand up in what is ours to do and be and give in these you know I'm a songwriter, and "Invisible by Design" is a, is a hooky. That's a hooky title. Okay, if I don't use it for a book, I think you should use it for a song. No, no I mean, it's yours. It came up and for you. So, um, <clears throat> Ramdas comes to mind as uh, what a you know as as most people out there know you know ramdas passed away right before the pandemic got out while the getting was good kind mm -hmm. of uh we were all um i think you were there that year uh, right we were there all together or were you not there that year i was year? not there the year that he, that that he died right. I, I got to see him when he came to taos for the consecration right, right. yeah which he, he went to right before that he was and 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 during that, uh, you know, we all, of course, had many times when we said, "Gee, I think this could be the last time we get to gather to do this." And of course, he kept um, faking us all out. But that year, uh, shortly after that, I think really several weeks after that Maui retreat in early December, he passed away. Yeah. Um, I, I'd have to say, stunningly, from my perception of watching a lot of llamas pass and so forth, is that yeah. he seemed extremely. Um, at ease, I would say, is what mm. comes to mind with the, with the transition, um, with letting go. And um, he also, you know, I had a long history with him that was kind of intriguing because I studied with Trungpa Rinpoche. And of course, Ramdas and Trungpa Rinpoche were, had a whole dance going on at Neurope Institute back in, in 1974. Um, so he and I would sometimes kid around about those days, you know, uh, and, and the difference between, um, y you know, um, but I'm trying to explain to people that was the wild West as far as spirituality in the West goes. And there was a lot of different things sort of coming together, Zen teachers and, you know, and now, um, you know, you can now on Google, you can find out whatever you need to know about Mahamudra or Dzogchen or, or uh, esoteric Hindu teachings, you know, so, uh, and then I just saw USA Today had an article about the 10 top meditation teachers, uh, you know, like in 2022. And I thought, well, there's going to be award ceremonies next. It's, 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 it's crazy. But Ramdas is singular in that he um, spawned, launched, uh, uh, assisted, you know, supported, uh, inspired uh you know gave kindling and firewood to so so many people it's almost startling and he was your would you say he was like of all the influences that you had was he paramount yes i would definitely say that but it wow. took me until almost you know the day he died to admit it oh I had been really burned, David, by a lot of spiritual teachers. You know, a lot of bullshit had mm -hmm. had um, been heaped upon me as a young aspirant, you know, as this teenager on fire with desire for God. And so I was just like a prime target for a lot of fakes. And uh. 
And, you know, so, and Ramdas also never claimed to be an awakened master. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, as well as my innate skepticism bordering on cynicism, I, I didn't really let him in all the way. I mean, I let as a beloved, he was all the way in. Mm-hmm. Ramdas was always dear to me. I called him Uncle Ramdas because he was the same age as my parents. And he was very kind of avuncular with me in the sense that he was very proud of me for my books. And he, you know, would check on on me to see what I was up to. It was always a feeling of of family tenderness. But it it was, and I always called him my elder guru brother mm-hmm. because we had the same guru. So sure. it really took me a while to actually admit that not only has he been my lifelong teacher since I was 15, but that the way I am as a teacher is entirely formed, shaped by Ramdas. You know, everything wow. about, about what I teach, the way I teach, the way I draw on all these different spiritual traditions and sacred scriptures, all of that. Wow. I feel like I'm channeling him saying wow right now. The way he's just saying, wow. <laughs> you know, um, you referred to and you talked about in your in your book and what you just referred to in, in this last section here, that you did experience charlatanism and you know you were open and you were uh aspiring and and um and that you had been taken advantage of. I think that's a powerful, powerful story to share. I don't know what parts of it you want to share or don't want to share, but I know I know it's a, a an important uh, thread for people these days to understand the difference between devotion and exploitation. Yeah, you you seem to have a lot to, to offer about it. Mm, thank you, David. Well, you know, I'm in thinking about it. Okay, so so friends, what what David's referring to is that one of my early spiritual teachers was um, definitely not a realized being in any sense of the word, and he uh, sexually abused me as mm. part of my curriculum for awakening. It's it sounds so cliche now, but at the time it felt so profound. I was fifteen. It was the same year I met. Ramdas and became a, a devotee of Neem Kali Baba and also a Sufi and also developed my v- Buddhist practice, you know, which is basically a Vipassana practice. And, um, and so, so I'm realizing as I get older, I just turned 60, that it was the times too. And that's not to excuse what happened. I mean, the guy who abused me was a creepy, disgusting human being. Um, he's gone now. He's no longer alive. And I feel freer. But mm-hmm. um, but it was also teenage girls were sleeping with older guys. Like it, mm-hmm. it, at Lama, everywhere I went, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very common. And, and yet what was disgusting about it was that, A, this man told me that it was that in order to have my spiritual awakening, which I longed for so much, <laughs> that this was part of it, and B, that it had to be secret. Oh. So that was the difference between me and some of my peers, you know, mm. who were having open relationships with older men as part of the whole countercultural, what are we doing now as human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and in in society, in relationship, in community, how do we do this now with the with everything shifting? So... 
yeah, the the part, the secret part was was really wrong, and um, there were a lot of things that were really really wrong, especially because the emphasis on the spiritual practices in the spiritual practices was very much on transcending the body, and it, and that left me vulnerable for mm. my body to be exploited. And I'm afraid some of the rest of you who are hearing this are going, "Yep, that happened to me too. Mm. Me too." <laughs> so it's it's taken me a long time, decades, to be to come to peace with it. And if I can help younger women in any way or men who are finding that have found themselves in similar situations, I feel like that's, you know, that's always the gift, right? Of any of our suffering is that we can hopefully help other people as they suffer. Yeah. Well, you know, also you, what you've been through has created the fabric of who you are now. Absolutely. And, and um, you're, you're clearly a wise person and wisdom is you know uh you can't you can't short you can't uh you know uh get a quick oh give me the weekend course on wisdom <laughs> i i told uh, daniel aiken my publisher at, at wisdom i said i've got a great idea for a book for us wisdom for dummies how about that <laughs> people would pay a lot of money for that <laughs> You know, um, so it's not, you know, I also used to play with this guy, David Bromberg, who had a song called You Have to Suffer If You Want to Sing the Blues, which would make Mm -hmm. me laugh every single time. It's not that. It's just that, um, you know, the depth of perspective you get from having actually dared to live and Mm -hmm. actually engaged living at the time on its own terms. uh, Those are the people who actually do have something deeper to, to communicate because, uh, they engaged. They entered the action. They were in, they were in the flow. So I do think you would have. Um, I, I'm sure you do have a, a lot to say to the current crop of a- acolytes and aspirants. Um, and I, since I teach a lot with young people, and so you know, our, our Dharma Moon crowd is like a lot of 20s and 30s people. Wow, and for whatever cool. reason, I, I'm very comfortable. Uh, with that, uh, that somehow the combination of the music and and also the um, the culture seems like it's gone a, a full cycle. So I, there's something about the way they hang out that reminds me, you know, um, of, of of us at a at a, at a certain stage. And also uh, there is a communal energy, and there's also a lack of wanting to define yourself in a concrete way. So I call them the hyphenates. The hyphenate generation. They'll say, I'm a producer, a writer, a carpenter, a painter, and the hyphens seem to be part of the way of self defining mm. right now, more, more, than, more than I've ever seen before. Um, mm. I love so, that. So, you know, then there's just wanting to be really sure that they're not, um, that you're not assuming anything, you know, because the wheel does go around. And I, I think of it as a Ferris wheel. You don't really get to go around again in this life. You know, at a certain point, you're, over here and you should take a certain seat of um you know i'm a grandpa now you know it's it's uh you sit in the playground you watch the kids play you know you're, you're not jumping around as much so um but you seem to be uniquely i wondered what 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 how do you go about presenting to to folks these days are you doing workshops trainings uh online things what, what's your life like in, in that regard as a presenter 
Well, prior to the pandemic, I was traveling at least 50% of the time. It felt mm. like a lot more because, mm. you know, there's all the recovering from traveling. So I was doing a lot of workshops and retreats. On, you know, my my most current theme from my book, Wild Mercy, was was reclaiming women's wisdom across the spiritual traditions. You're right, I'm a very eclectic kind of being, and I've deeply studied but also practiced in multiple religious and spiritual you know, landscapes. So it was a lot of women's wisdom across the spiritual traditions, and I blend poetry of the mystics and writing ourselves and art making and music and chanting with meditation and then teachings of of the mystics that I love. Like, for instance, I'm a translator of the Spanish mystics, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. These are medieval, not medieval, 16th century um, Catholic saints. And, and she in particular, you mentioned in your book, is is an archetype for you, right? She's Totally, yeah. yes. And what, was her, a, what was her main character that that you identify with? Ah, uh, she she was definitely subversive. She single handedly led a major reform movement in the Catholic Church in her time and was persecuted for it. She also was Jewish by birth. She came from a converso family, a Jewish family forced by the Inquisition to convert to Catholicism. Um, in during that era, she was born in 1515. So Spain had taken over. I mean, the Catholic Church had taken over Spain uh, in 1492 when they expelled Jews and Muslims who had been living, by the way, in relative harmony in Spain, Jews, Muslims and Christians for for 800 years at that point. Well, isn't that exactly the year that Columbus landed in Failed the ocean blue 1492? Yes. <laughs> That's interestingly synchronous. So, so you were teaching workshops uh, based on on her, her and other other mystics. But she's kind of my girl, you know. Having translated her, it's like it's like living with a guru, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like being at having darshan every day, wow. and receiving that direct transmission. Translating is one of the most powerful spiritual experiences I've ever had. You're translating and, from Spanish into English? Yeah, from, from Spanish, right. And it was, you know, it wasn't modern Spanish, conversational mm-hmm. Spanish. It was um, late re- Renaissance Spanish, so it was it was challenging um, to translate to Teresa and John of the Cross. I also translated Dark Night of the Soul, John of the Cross's kind of mystical masterwork, and yeah. some some of his poetry. In fact, Ramdas and Ramesh Radas asked me to translate one of St. John of the Cross's poems for one of their books. I think it was... Um, being love, being love, right? No, well, I forgot which one. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that's the only place that that translation exists right now. Um, so yes, I would. So these tr- these workshops just blended wisdom teachings with practice, with meditation practice, chanting, silence, uh, and writing. Because writing is a profound spiritual practice for me. And so people seem to really respond to this basket that we weave of um, of various modalities. So it wasn't just lecture and meditating. You know, mm-hmm. it was poetry. It was heart, heart awakening kinds of right. experiences. And a lot of dialogue, community creation where I, this is the kind of invisible I do appreciate, where I can kind of disappear 
and they create community mm-hmm. with themselves and each other. And that's such a, a beautiful and seemingly rare experience, that kind of community building, building of sangha uh, that, that happens when we come together in these ways. So now I'm doing a lot of that online for various organizations. I'm teaching with Andrew Harvey, a year-long course right now on, that we call Global Mystics and a, a lot of things like that. And I'm writing, you know, I'm continuing to write. So teaching and writing. And now I'm beginning to travel again. And it's all of a sudden my calendar 2022 is completely filled to the gills. I don't know how to, I to, tra- to travel, to it's physically a of, travel. A lot of traveling. You know, I had uh, dinner with Ramesh and Kate Friday, Friday night. I'm out in East Hampton right now. And mm-hmm. uh, I looked at them and I really haven't been seeing a lot of people physically. Um, and I, I went, where's your box? Where's your yeah. <laughs> you have <laughs> legs. I walked around behind them. You know, this has been, and, and I really did feel, frankly, like I was tripping. There was a, a, a vividness to it that was like, you know, I mean, since we have crossed those bridges, you can adapt to to that feeling. But um, it wasn't just kind of. It didn't. So I don't know if you're if you're when you get out and about, it'll be interesting to see how that feels. Have you have you done anything in traveling yet? Maui with with you guys, right? Yeah, right, but, and, that, yeah, and was, that, that was a little weird, right? It was a little weird, and we yeah. were still masked, and you know, maybe we'll be. I also taught a women's retreat on Molokai right before that, and and that was really beautiful. Just to be, that was my first in person experience, and then Maui was wonderful, and I I feel ready. I I but I just yeah. don't want to get back to the life that I was living, which was really dissipating. Right, and as a writer. I really need fallow time. I need yeah. to just be home. I need to walk in these mountains. I'm looking out my window right now. <laughs> it's a snowstorm coming. And I walk every day in the mountain. Uh, mm. And that's essential for everything that I am and do. Mm. Now, um, you've heard of the wish-fulfilling jewel, right? Yes. So sometimes kidding around the wish-fulfilling jewel, you know. <laughs> uh, the wish-fulfilling jewel, let's say you had access mm-hmm. okay and and you know without any uh reserve and projecting forward because you know i mean you might take a very very exotic position say i'd like to change the past which they say certain adepts can actually do that seven generations back but i haven't really experienced that one yet <laughs> but going forward you know is there something you would like to manifest that um would just be complete fruition for you personally well you know i'm not even going to characterize okay you want yeah um my sense my very strong sense david is that these tumultuous times are a very creative generative fruitful time that is both um killing dying crucifying Mm -hmm the things that need to go, the structures that need to collapse are collapsing. And what this gives us is the collectively is this opportunity. And not the only one who's saying this, many of us are saying this to co-create consciously the world that we want to see and live in together. And so my, my dream, my wish for that wish fulfilling tree is that we can step up in the middle of the fire of, of change and seeming destruction right now 
the catastrophe, the cataclysm, the, the apocalypse, and together say yes to what, what works, say no to what needs to go, and co-create this new world that is grounded in loving kindness, compassion, creativity, and all of the things that give life and honor life and honor our interconnectedness, this web of interbeing, as Ty called it, to which we we all belong, that that become our lived reality. And I, for one, am excited about participating in it. If I survive, um, I want to be a, a space of tenderness and strength and equanimity and fun and support for for others going forward. Because I've done my work. I mean, I want to have done my work. Maybe by then I will have started mm-hmm. <laughs> doing whatever the real work is that will help enable me to be a source of of some kind of strength for others. That's quite a, uh, quite an aspiration. And um, a little lofty. You'll have to forgive me, bordering on grandiose, I suppose. I didn't take it that way. No, but, because your feet never left the ground when you were saying it. You know, didn't 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 seem to. Um, <sighs> makes me want to pause, actually. I want to know what yours is. You know, in in our tradition, we say first thought, best thought. It's something that Trungpa Rinpoche used to say quite a lot, first thought, best thought. And then it had a second. The first one was to finish. Not completely sure what that meant. And then the second one came to finish gracefully. So for me personally, there are certain projects that I want to complete. Mm-hmm. Some are creative. Um, I've had the hybrid life of the creative and and the you know the Dharma have really cohabited in in one life, sometimes vying and sometimes collaborating. Um, so I have two musicals that I've almost completely written. I would love to see them actually get done. Wow. Um, I have a new album coming out called Pandemonia, which was inspired by the 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 this little two years that we just li- lived through. Mm. And then on the on the Dharma side, uh, spontaneously during the same two years you're talking about, we created this um, uh, platform called Dharma Moon. Uh, and Dharma Moon is um, quite residual from a previous perception and and has to do with the work that I did with Trungpa Rinpoche, but sprouts out from it too. And the sort of, if you want to get a caption, it's when the sun of Dharma shines, the moon of Dharma reflects all that brilliance. Mm. And so it is feminine. It is art. It is culture. A lot of the people in our community are artists and, and musicians. Don't have to be. You just have to be artful and lyrical in how you, because that's how we often express it. Um, and the idea would be that there could be a real integration, which is why creativity, spirituality, and making a buck, there could be real integration, not some, uh, you know, uh, necessarily some CEO with the malas around the, uh, you know, the risk going to, uh, do ayahuasca ceremony on their Christmas break. Yeah. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, real integration where those things are not really thought of as antithetical because my whole life I watched the spiritual community withdraw, pull back from the world of engagement. Exactly. And, then, and then we see, you know, people who are really successful in the world 
um, you know, becoming, uh, uh, you know, let's say detached uh, energetically, emotionally from 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 the from the creation that's going on. So, and this is something that you know you could say I got this from Trung Rinpoche, the vision that that he had, but it's not like that. It's like it it cohabited, and I recognized it in him, and 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 it was more like that's what drew us together. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also gave some teachings that were so seminal in this regard about how to create these kind of situations. So that's another thing I'm following through. Uh, very much the way that you know our friends and you all with Maharaji, I'm following through my guru's uh, vision uh, or, or or kind of um, even present energetic of like, yeah, we want to actually do this. You know, we want to actually have to, just what you said. Actually, you want to see this land. You want to see the spaceship land. That's what you just said. You'd like to see all these possibilities really manifest. So I think we have the same dream. That's the short story. Mm, essentially in essence but and and mine is very feminine yeah you know i hang around a lot like our team is very very much uh women uh uh, i hired a guy and first one i think in the core team (laughs) and uh you know it's it's tough yeah i like what you said earlier about women it's it's wrathful and tough at the same time as it's nurturing and and um, gentle um and the other thing is that you know i was wondering if you had ever heard the saying uh prajna paramita about prajna is the mother of all the buddhas have you ever heard that of course i love that i often speak about that so i tell students hey if you want to meet buddha's mommy mm-hmm. it's prajna you better be sharp mm-hmm. you better be on your toes it's not gooey like i love you you know i mean it's it's just the 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 the, the development of acuity uh, discernment, um, unique perspective is all okay. Just like you're saying, that's okay for somebody to have their individual uh, individuality. Just, just to be sharp and to be clear, and that that opens the gateway in a way just as much as devotion would. Mm, exactly. Yes. So yeah, I don't know if I went on too long there, but that's. Listen, yeah. I've been interviewed hundreds of times, and I am much more interested in you than I am in myself. (laughs) (laughs) That makes two of us. (laughs) And I'm much more interested in having a conversation with an interesting person Mm. than to just hear myself talk. So I, I love hearing what's on your heart. And yes, you're right. There's a lot of resonance. And podcast format, you know, I, I kind of, I think, um, Duncan Trussell is my podcast guru in a way because I didn't even know what a podcast was. And then, you know, at Maui, I, I went on his and I went on Pete Holmes and I went, oh, this is a kind of like uh, a jam. It's a jam Actually, session. Actually, I've been yeah. on both of theirs as well and it's just something the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. Although you're yeah. right up there with, with them, David, right oh, now. I'm not as funny as Duncan, that's for sure. Oh, you're, you're funny. Yeah. I, and my my interview with Duncan was a little more serious, I think. What did you talk about? Well, we, it, Wild Mercy had just come out, and I think I was a bit I was a bit fierce at that stage of things, you know, in in uh, wrestling the feminine out of the grasp of the patriarchy. So mm. I was more on on a mission, and and Duncan was hugely respectful of that mission. Yeah, he's a gem. Yes, he is. Yeah, we have regular. Uh, Dharma hang on the on the phone and he comes mm-hmm. he comes by and um, a lot of his 
friends that we have, uh, you know, a mindfulness meditation teacher training program uh, three times a year. And a lot of his friends come by and actually take that. It's a hundred hour course. Wow. And he has, he has a tribe, you know, there's a certain, yeah. a certain frequency there that I recognize that we call them the dunkites. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's great. Um, what's, the, what's the rest of your life like? Do you mind uh, sh- whatever you feel like sharing um, any, into any sports, any uh, activities? Yeah, well, um, we have a lot of family. You know, we have this mm-hmm. Gangaras and I, my husband Gangaras and I both have a lot of family here in Taos. So a lot of our life is about that. We're, our youngest daughter is about to give birth uh, next month in our bed. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, last night they were here with the midwives for two hours, just checking out the space and doing wow. her a new another prenatal exam. It's very exciting. We had a baby shower here the other day. Um, my, we have between us, Gangaras and I have five, had five girls. He had three and I had two. And my youngest daughter, Jenny died when she was 14 in a car accident. Yeah. She grew up here at the Hanuman temple, you know, the, the Neem Kroli Baba ashram and Hanuman temple are here in Taos. Mm -hmm. So Gangaras and I both raised our, our families here. In fact, that's how we met was our youngest daughters were best friends. And we blended our two our two groups of girls, but so family, you know, both grappling with Jenny's stuff and and just this new life that is continuing to unfold. Every one of the four remaining girls has now had a child. Well, Kali's about to have her first, our youngest, and so that's a lot of my life. And You're a grandma. I'm a grandma, about to be for the eighth time. Yes. <laughs> and, and my grandchildren are definitely a big part of my life and I make wow. art with them and I wow. take them hiking so I also hike every, well walk in the mountains just happens to be steep so it's hiking mm-hmm. every day as I said wow. so being outdoors is a huge part of my life and then of course writing and I love and I love singing and kirtan and music, sacred music of any kind. All music is sacred to me. Just as all poetry is mystical poetry to me. And you write poetry too, right? Yeah. Well, I was a little hesitant. <laughs> well, I rarely would call myself a poet, but because mm. my prose is, as you've noticed, um, lyrical. Yeah. And so it's a fine line in some cases in, with my writing between poetry and prose. But yes, I'm definitely a poet as well. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a very rich and, you know, uh, so positive. It's like, it's, you know, you, you have such a positive vibration. It's, it's almost, um, mood altering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, David. And I Back to that first thing we said, like about the sexual abuse, that these difficult experiences of our lives, you know, are are what weave the tapestry of mm. who we are. And and I have to say that my daughter's death, which was exactly twenty years ago, was absolutely the most instrumental experience of my life, my inner and outer life. Jenny, Jenny's life and death remade me and opened me to a space of wonder and joy, childlike mm. wonder that um, I think I always had that inclination, but 
But it wasn't in spite of, but rather through the gateway of her, the her most horrific experience I could ever imagine. Unendurable anguish, losing a child. And yet here we are. And, you know, it is 20 years later. It took me a very long time to get mm. to the point where I could affirm life again. Mm. And and yet, yes, as you say, I there is a there is a joy and sweetness and goodness, like a wholesome yumminess to my life now that is because I I was galvanized in that fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know who comes to mind just uh, not out of the blue, but I think it's City Ma just came into my mind as a kind of um, energy. And for those who don't know, that was um, one of uh, Maharaji's Ma's. Is that a fair way to say it? How would you How would you talk about who she yeah. she is? Well, yes, the Ma's were the were the women that were absolutely, utterly devoted to Maharaji and and um, took care of him. But also, City Ma's, you as you say, was um, was one of the most essential in in Maharaji's circle of Ma's and the one to whom he really gave the task of taking care of the Westerners. Mm-hmm. When- Specifically the Westerners? Yeah. Well, no, actually wrong. Uh, all mm-hmm. uh, his, all his people, all his devotees. Now that- in Buddhism, we say she was possibly like a lineage holder. That's how I, yeah. I would that, that be fair way. to say? or I see her that way too. You know, there's mm-hmm. this new uh, film in be here now network. That's about to come out called brilliant disguise about KK. I mean, of a, um, Tawari, Mr. Tawari, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, Casey Tawari. And, and in many ways, he also was that kind of lineage holder, mm-hmm. or, as was KK um, Shah. But, but yes, I, I see, I'd met, I had the great good fortune of being with Sidima and um, she was hugely helpful to me. In fact, in, in integrating the death of my daughter. Very, uh-huh. very. You, you mean you you personally discussed it with her? Yes, at the time from afar, and then a few years later there in person. In fact, that um, the epilogue of my memoir, Caravan of No Despair, is is about that encounter with Sidima and how she uh, how she helped me transform through this. Yeah, so you have it right there. So it's only a few pages. And if anyone's interested in Sidima, I think there's a very essential Sidima story in there. So yes, she's exceedingly dear to me and and um, a deep, powerful teacher on my way. And, and it's so important for me to have women teachers because almost all my teachers have been men. Hmm. Yeah, she seems to rest, you know, have a powerful role to play in quite a few uh, of the me- me- people in your in your community, um, in that community. Uh, it's it's an interesting thing to. There are people who go, oh, I'm, you know, I got direct transmission from Jesus Christ or whatever, you know. So people who aren't there uh, physically. And uh, many people say that about Maharaji, for example. And actually, some people, somebody like Trungpa Rinpoche or Karmapa, they say they. Uh, I, I remember a, a, wo- a woman artist actually back, you know, thirty years ago. She drew a a, pic- a painting of Trungpa Rinpoche before she had ever seen him, and it was a, it was a likeness. 
you know, so it's, uh, there's some element of like an imprint, like, you know, when you look at a very bright thing and you close your eyes, you still sort of see it. Yes. Um, but I wonder, uh, um, do, would you say you talk to Maharaji or Sidimat internally, obviously, not, not necessarily out loud, as if they were there? Yes. Both you, know of what them. I, you know what I'm referring to? Is like, yes, both yeah. of them. Not delusional, not thinking, oh, you know, I'm, they're really, you know, in the other room or something like that, but some kind of internal uh, uh, dialogue. Absolutely. And I love what Ramdas would say about that. Remember, you know, there's I don't, this, I don't remember what okay, he said. Okay, so Ramdas often talked about this, that that he this was post stroke that he talked about this, that he was interviewed once and and the guy said, You really do you talk to your guru? And and Ramdas said, Yes, all the time. And he said, Do you actually think that you're talking to him and he's talking back? And Ramdas said, Yes, it's definitely an intimate, real dialogue between us. And the guy says, Isn't that just in your imagination? And Ramdas laughed and he said, of course, that's what my imagination is for. This is a great gift of the imagination mm. is it's a field where I can meet my, my beloved. Yeah. And, and that's how I feel too. That's exactly how I feel. Mm. I don't think of the imagination as being something other than reality. It's a, it's a place where I can meet reality. It's so um, interesting to be kind of cousin to that sangha, which is how I feel about it, you know, because yeah. of my relationship with KD that I, you know, produces records and play guitar. And then we hang out endlessly at times, you know, uh, that I would ask Maharaji for something before I would ask Drunk Rinpoche. It's like asking your uncle before you'd ask your dad. <laughs> That's great, David. I love that. <laughs> because your dad might say, you know, more than you wanted to hear back. <laughs> your uncle says, oh, sure, have a cookie, you know. Uh, and um, there was one thing that happened. Um, I, I told this story before, and I'll just tell it very briefly, where I was uh, producing, uh, I think it was Kirtan Wallet, and I, we had to shorten the songs. We had too much music. And, 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 um, I didn't want to deal with it because those songs go on forever, as you know, the, the kirtans, and they change tempo, so it's tricky. So I said, look, and I did this in my inner mind, you know, and I have a vivid memory of it, but I couldn't really tell you when and where I actually said it, but I, it was clear. I said, Maharaji, it, it's me, David. I work with your boy, KD, <laughs> you, you know, Uh and, uh, you know, I've heard people ask you for stuff. So I don't want to ask you for anything big because I know you got a full, you got a full docket and I'm not one of the, you know, I'm not one of the inner, inner gang, but here's what I'd like to ask. Can you keep track of the timing on this record for me? And it's got to be 74 minutes and 30 seconds because that's, that's all you can fit onto a CD. Uh, and then I just produced it, you know, so let's fade here. Let's go cut into this one here. We had about 90 minutes of music. Then it was in Pro Tools and uh, Jay Messini, the engineer. We did all the edits. And then I said, okay, how long is it? 74 minutes and 30 seconds. No way. And that's such, I'm not like the kind of person who's going around with the Book of Miracles. Right. You, you can tell that. Yeah, I, I grew up in, in Stuyvesant Town, Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, my and God. It's like, you, you're talking to me? You know, so... Uh, it was a minor incident in a way, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's pretty, pretty quirky. And and I know people have asked for more significant things, like could you align me with my true purpose, or uh, you know, remove obstacles, or so. Or so. 
So um, there is, and I also know what happens to people when they pursue that perspective on you know how quickly that can go south south on you. But that did actually happen. I love it, and it's not a small thing because you, as a producer, are producing a a doorway to the transformation of consciousness. So it's a huge thing. And for you to be able to relax and just do the your best David thing, knowing that, or not knowing, actually not knowing, but tr- interesting. Yeah, in retrospect, I can't really tell you what I knew or didn't know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do feel, I, I did feel a strong gut reaction to Maharaji's presence as I had to filter it through Ramdas, filter through KD, filter through all the different people because then they're adding their filter to it. But it felt like beyond that, there was some real big uh, power source there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is something... Um, which, you know, the, coming back to the feminine, I, I don't know, I associate it with maybe not the neurotic, toxic masculine of having to be a boss and having to know what's going on and, and you know, have things lined up and, you know, the law and order of, of it all. Just opening to the mystery. And I think you, you of all the people I've met lately, you, you, you really, to me, you represent that. You really mm-hmm. do. I could see you really, really, uh, um, what a beautiful offering. Thank you so much. I well, it's because you are so receptive that I feel like I can reveal a little bit of what I love most. And I bet there's an you know we talk about outer, inner, and secret you know in the Buddhist tradition. So, um, are, can men come to your workshops, or is it only women? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I I did for the first couple of years since Wild Wild Mercy's been out for a couple of years. There was a, a strong emphasis on gathering women because women needed it, need it. We need it so much. We need these spaces and we need to work together on shifting the the larger paradigm. But now I am opening back up and I, I cherish having men in my, in fact, not enough men come to my gatherings anyway, even before this. Um, So I would love to have more men And my new book. The book I'm working on now is nominally called ordinary mysticism. And that's really about reclaiming everything we've been talking about, the, the mm. landscape of our everyday lives as, mm. as sacred. And so I think that, that my work is opening back up to people of all genders. But it's really important to, you know, people say to me, don't you want to, aren't you worried about getting out of balance by emphasizing the feminine? And my answer is no, <laughs> nope. It's so, I mean, the imbalance is so extreme from, thousands of years of patriarchal dominance that it's going to take a real effort on behalf of people of all genders to, to shift that. Yeah. And, and um, obviously there's a lot of exploration, parsing language, history. I'm, you know, some of the women who work in my, uh, in Dharma moon are, are catching me up pretty quickly on, on the kind of now line of where, where, where these things fall. And I want to be a student, uh, you know, till the day I die, but particularly this aspect of cultural realignment um, and the fact that Dharma Moon is really trying to represent the, uh, the graceful uh, uh, reflective surface of something, not just staring at the sun till you're blind, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which is the moon. And that's actually, here's the funny twist. My, my refuge, my Buddhist refuge name was Moon of Dharma Treasure. Wow. In Tibetan, Dawa Chudza. So 
you know, so I, when I thought of Dharma Moon, it was first for my record label. And I thought it would be the perfect, so we just used it for this. So mm -hmm. it's just the perfect, perfect name for it. Mm -hmm. So you are, you must come to Dharma Moon. I, I, I'd like, you know, maybe would you come into a webinar or something like that with, with us? I would love to. Yeah. And uh, meet, meet some of the folks. And um, this was, uh, you know, if I had, if this is all I had to do all day long, I'd be a happy camper. <laughs> so thank you. you so much. Thank, thank you so you. much. Well, no. You're welcome. Thank you too, David. And thank you all for your loving attention. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Uh, something coming up soon? Uh, uh, um, something you want to share? Is there anything you want to leave the folks with? Oh, thank you for asking. You know, Ramdas ruined me with Be Here Now. I, I'm i just totally 100% here with you right now, and I can't even remember the rest of my um, my life. But if people want to go to my website, ah. mirabystar.com, it's all there. Right. Follow me on Instagram. I, I'm pretty active on social media. And I, I told you before we started that I have a song that I'm working on for you, which is Bye Bye Mira Bye Bye Bye. <laughs> It'll be a swing, kind of pretty hot swing tune, you know, pretty pretty fast tempo. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll be, you know, hopefully chatting again in the near future. Mm, thank you, my brother. It was a joy. Bye. And it was a joy. Thank you, Mirabai and David, for such a beautiful conversation and for sharing it with us. The atmosphere of heart and clarity really emanated through this conversation in the moment. And regardless of what medium you were engaging with this podcast in, I'm sure you all could feel it as well. I know I'll carry it with me in my own heart and mind as an embodiment of the qualities cultivated through a life of authenticity, practice, and showing up to one's experience with bravery and tenderness. And now, in conclusion, a series of links and thank yous. Thank you, Mirabai, for joining us. And thank you, Willow, for helping to coordinate this podcast. Also, I neglected to mention Instagram and the opening monologue, and Mirabai is quite active there. So please give her a follow, and uh, you can do so by searching her name. Thank you, Corey, Sarah, JR, and everyone at the Be Here Now Network for their dedication to continuing the teachings of Ramdas and to releasing an amazing and ever-growing archive of podcasts grounded in the world's wisdom traditions. Please head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com to check out all the amazing offerings and add a slash David for all the CSM pods. Thank you, David, for teaching. And if you would like to study with David and connect with us in community, head over to DharmaMoon.com these podcasts are evergreen, and we have many offerings running on our event page. If you're listening while this is fresh, David has a creativity, spirituality, and making a buck weekend program coming up soon. The course is based around David's CSM book, which is great. I wrote which is great in all caps in my script. Because it's that good. Pick up a copy on Wisdom Publications and get to work with the right amount of effort and relaxation. We also have part two of Ethan Nick Turn's year-long Buddhist study course starting soon, entitled Finding the Bodhisattva Within. Join us. And thank you to you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please like and share and give us a review on your favorite pod platform. Podform. Platpod? 
All right. It's getting silly. Time to go. Thank you for listening, everyone. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.